Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Welcome to number two of 10 for the A-Game podcast, dropping 10 throwbacks in 10 days to end out 2021. Today's episode is with Pace Morby. If you don't know who he is, you've probably been living under a rock. He's one of the biggest names in real estate right now, especially on the creative finance side. He is the guy for what's called Subject 2, which is usually little to no money down in loan qualifications, which is always desirable to pretty much everybody. He's now the co-host of a very popular show on A&E called Triple Digit Flip with his partner Jamil Bamji. He's got his sub two course. He's got his whole group. He does a, a ton of free stuff on YouTube. He's got podcasts. He's got all kinds of different stuff going on, but brings a lot of really good info. He's a super nice guy. And uh, since this podcast has come out, he has absolutely blown up. I'm going to take full credit for that, of, co- of course, but uh, no, great, great guy. He's uh, surrounded by really good people. I've made a lot of good introductions through his group, through some of his peers. And uh, again, you know, the guy just, uh, he's got a lot of students that are doing good stuff and uh, he's got a great group and a great network. He puts out a ton of content. His show's great. And uh, if you don't know anything about Subject 2 and you're looking to get into real estate and you're saying, hey, I don't have money or I don't have good credit or you know, I, I can't have full doc loans for banks or whatever it may be that your issue is. This is a great way to look at it and get it. And a lot of people don't know about it or they don't think it's possible or they think it's a scam. And he does tons of these. And I've done some since I've had him on the podcast and I've done some before on the commercial side, but on the residential side, this is becoming more and more popular. So I think it's a great strategy. Uh, definitely looking to do more of these in 2022. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. It's an easy one to listen to with great info very likable guy, easy guy to talk to. Again, if you would like to do some real estate, text me. That's my new thing. Text me. 516-540-5733. Text the word real estate. If you're looking to have a discussion to buy properties, sell properties, or partner on properties, I don't care if you're brand new or you've been doing this for 30 years. Let's have a talk and see where we can fit in together. And if you're looking to come on my podcast as a guest or you're looking to collaborate on a podcast that have me on yours, text podcast to that same number 516-540-5733 hope everybody has a great tuesday eat your vegetables pet your dogs go to jujitsu and subscribe to the a-game podcast nicknicknick.com slash links and nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets have an awesome day thank you all right my guest today on the a-game podcast is the famous pace morby killing it on the real estate side doing me a big favor by sharing his time today he is a real estate investor and entrepreneur, owns a bunch of different businesses that all kind of tie in together, which is pretty cool. More about wholesaler, flipper, uh, the host of uh, Sunday Service, host of the Wholesale Hotline, uh, and best known as a creative finance ninja. Uh, seems to be the best in the business of that right now. I really want to dig into a lot of that. I think that that's going to be the way that the market is going right now. I love that. Um, last I saw, you were up to over 600 transactions in... Uh, just about three years, and I think it's climbing. And I know your proudest achievement. You are a proud father that I know is one of your big whys and big go-tos, man. So 
Pace Morby, uh, I really appreciate you being on, man. Give a, a quick intro and background on yourself. Thanks so much for being here today. Nick, thank you so much, bro. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you putting this together. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we're, we're just having a good time. I told somebody the, the other day that I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm just hanging out with my buddies all day long and just buying houses, and it's like we're at recess, you know, almost type <laughs> of thing. And um, there's nothing better than being in this business. And then yesterday, I also saw on somebody's Instagram post, they were talking about, you know, highest paid professions. And they went through and they, you know, were kind of naming out accountants and CPAs and, um, you know, all these individual people all the way to like a surgeon. And I'm like, man, these guys are going to school for 16 years to make that kind of money. You can be, you can do that in two or three years in real estate, which is unbelievably cool. So I feel like um, I'm blessed to be in the position I'm in. It wasn't without its trials and it wasn't without its challenges, but I'm definitely blessed to be able to just have fun all day long and buy real estate. I feel like the makes all the difference and it definitely shows that you love what you do. And I, I pay especially uh, close attention to, it seems that you really enjoy who you're doing it with, which to me was always the biggest thing. It was, you know, I could do great things, but you know, what fun is being at the top of the mountain by yourself? I'd rather bring people with me and, and split all that. And, you know, I hear you popping in and out on different podcasts with some of your partners, and it really seems like you guys enjoy each other's company and working together and you're having fun, which obviously is always going to make you more successful and make you enjoy more of what you're doing. It doesn't feel like a job. Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel, you know, when I'm talking to people, whether they're just on Instagram or maybe on some of our podcasts that we're running, it's amazing the, the um, advice that we give about squatting up with other like-minded people is honestly one of the pieces of advice that people get the most excited about. Like, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a golden nugget, golden nugget. I'm like, man, that's not a nugget. Like that should be standard in your life. You should remove everybody from your life that is not directly impacting your business. Um, and so I feel very lucky that I guess that's just a, in, like it's built in me that if you're not part of my growth, I love you. I appreciate you, but I just don't, I simply don't have time. You know, I've only 24 hours in a day. So the other, you know, 18 hours a day that I'm working and planning on work and strategizing, like I just have to spend every minute with people I absolutely like. So I'm very lucky to be in the position I'm in because I met some really, really solid people along the way. I think that's awesome. And I actually wasn't even going to go down that route, but I'm glad you brought it up because I find myself every year, I tell myself more and more that I'm going to have less and less tolerance for people that especially on the professional side, people that work for me that make me feel like I work for them and people on the personal side that, you know, it's, it's the same type of thing. It feels like it's just a constant drain because the more the business grows, the higher the stakes are, you know, the more that those things affect my and, and take me away from the other important stuff like, you know, like hanging out with your kids or whatever it is. How, how long did it take you to get to the point of being able to notice? Because again, I, people ask a lot and I try and tell them, I don't feel like somebody as you, as you get higher up the ladder professionally has different problems. I think you just get better at identifying them sooner and getting them out of the way. So was there a long process to you feeling comfortable or confident with cutting that negativity out of your life, being that it might've been that you actually wanted to be around and you feel bad sometimes cutting that off. But what was the process to getting to that point? You know, my favorite book, my favorite business book of all time is uh, rocket fuel. And in the book, Rocket Fuel, I've probably read the book 15 times because, you know, as you read the book again and again, you get these little nuggets that you didn't get the time before because you weren't ready to hear it, right? 
And one of the things that I wasn't ready to hear probably a year, year and a half ago was there will come a point in your business development where you will no longer be needed in your own business. And the knee-jerk reaction to every business owner is to not let go of that. Instead, to control it and fiddle with it and mess it up. And ultimately, your business falls apart because you're still involved. And so um, part of the reason why we, I, I went around and traveled for the last couple of months and got completely out of my state and took my kids and my wife and started traveling the country is because I said, I, I want to tear myself away from my business and test it out. Let's see where are the holes? What are the issues? And surprisingly, every time I do something like this, my business goes up like crazy because my people start taking ownership and my people actually enjoy me not being there because they like having uh, autonomy and, and feeling like this is my world. I control this job. Like no joke. I know this sounds really stupid, but yesterday we had a meeting with our acquisition team and I told my acquisition team for the first time, I said, you guys are now in charge of recruiting acquisition people. I want to have nothing to do with it. And when these employees come on board, they work for you. They do not work for me. And it was a hard conversation to have to let that go. And so I think um, I wish somebody taught me in my 20s to build something up, let it go. Build something up, let it go. But what, I, what I've always done is build something up, control it. Build something up, control it. And that's why I'm 37 and where I'm at instead of 27 and, and where I'm at. It's a great answer. I don't talk to anybody who says, oh, I wish I would have done that later in life. So, oh. you know, <laughs> yes. awesome. So I know you had a, a background in construction. I, I'm, you're probably sick of telling the tale. I give um, a quick background on, on how you went from construction actually into going on the other side of real estate investing. I think it's very interesting because I'm, it's rare that I talk to a contractor that works for investors that doesn't say, I want to be on the other side of that, but most of them don't do what you did. Yeah, I, I was um, very lucky. The way it worked is that I was, um, I was building a, a golf company. I was a manufacturer. That's what I was doing five, six years before I got into construction. I was doing manufacturing. And in that manufacturing business, um, I met a few people that said, hey, I, um, I want to invest in your golf business but I'm waiting for a couple of houses of mine to close so I can get some money. And I'm like, Oh, what do you do? You know, and they're fixing flippers and they start, we start having a conversation. Next thing you know, I'm fixing and flipping properties. And I got so excited about it that I said, Oh my gosh, I want to do this the rest of my life. So what I did is I built a big company. I had a, I had a company named Wedgwood enterprises call me off of my first fix and flip I ever did. And Wedgwood enterprises, they probably do 6,000 to 7,000 fix and flips a year. And so they um, built my business, essentially. I was able to go from like zero to, you know, 50 employees in like four or five months, very, very quick. Made a lot of money with them for a good amount of time. They were my only client for five years. And then Open Door came calling. Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow, some of these bigger REITs and, um, you know, institutional buyers. And I started making a lot of money with them. And then I realized oh my gosh, I lost sight of fix and flip. I basically have just been a contractor for the last like eight years. So I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it. And I had this lady named Bethany Willis come to me. She was one of my clients. And Bethany says, I'm retiring from fixing and flipping and investing real estate. My husband and I are moving to San Diego and I want to sell my business to you. And I'm like, 
okay, well, what is your business? Like you're a fix and flipper. You can't really sell your business to me. And it ended up being a franchise for We Buy Ugly Houses. So um, I ended up buying her franchise from her for about $150,000. Um, going back in a time machine now, I would have I just gone on YouTube and figured out how to do it by myself. But I paid 150 grand. Very long story short, I was top closer in um, the nation for, for home investors or We Buy Ugly Houses as most people know them. And I sold that franchise for a quarter million dollars about a two, I don't know, two, two and a half years later. But I was averaging, you know, 10 deals a month for a couple of years. And then I realized they don't want me to do creative financing. They don't want me to do, you know, any long-term stuff. They want their pound of flesh by me either wholesaling it or doing a fix and flip. They want their royalty on every deal. So um, when I got to a point where we were doing a little over 15 transactions a month, it was becoming a problem that they wouldn't let me do creative financing. So that's why I sold out. And um, that same month I made the decision to get out of Homevestors was also the same month that I had one guy screw me over on my construction business to the tune of about a million dollars. And uh, that was a week ago, two years ago. And I stupidly, I was so in love with construction and all my, you know, we had about 160 to 180 employees on average. I was so in love with doing it that even though I was making a lot of money on my wholesale and my fix and flip business, my We Have Buy Ugly Houses, I kept my construction business and I don't know why I did. I wish I could go back and say, once you bought this franchise, you should have gotten rid of your construction company. It held me back. And so when I, when this guy filed bankruptcy on me, he owed 42 other people $16 million. And I was only one person in that. He owed me a million dollars. He was running a Ponzi scheme. He was having contractors fund his projects. And then he was going out and getting second position loans with personal friends. And it was just this, it was a big mess. And I got caught in, in it, lost a million bucks. And that was what kicked me in basically right in the forehead and said, get out of construction and go full-time real estate. You're already making X amount of dollars. Like, what are you doing? You've been wasting your time. And because of that, I just had a lot more time. And since then we've done, oh my gosh, I, I mean, we probably tripled our volume just because I got rid of my construction company. So. The advantage we have now is that um, like tomorrow, we've got two deals closing that are fix and flips. Um, and we'll probably make 90 grand between the two of those. While other people are complaining like, oh, contractors are horrible and we don't know how to manage contractors and we're always over budget. And we, I kept my best people for my construction company. And those are the guys who currently work for me on my fix and flip operation. So I had a tremendous leg up getting into the fix and flip business because I was a contractor for so long. And now um, I'm not just a wholesaler. We do wholesale, we do fix and flip. We do novation agreements. If you guys want to talk about novation agreements, we do a lot of subject to and a lot of seller finance. We do, we basically run the whole gamut because of my experience in construction. We can take on projects that other people would simply be afraid of. That is outstanding, man. What a great story. I love that. So a couple of things that come off of that that I'd love to ask you about. The first one you brought up is when I talk to people that are doing fix and flips, the biggest thing is the freaking contractors, man. Like they're, they're always a pain in the ass. They either can't finish on time. If they are on time, the quality's not there. So being that you're doing this on such a large scale and have a background in construction, what is some advice or tips you can give on properly managing or communicating with contractors to get better results? You know, it, it, here's the thing is like people think they're going to fix the problem by fixing the contractor. The contractors are, it's a demographic, 
it's a demographic of people. You're not going to change the stripes on a tiger, right? You just adapt and you use different methods to manage that tiger. So people are like, oh, stupid contractors. I'm like, actually, I was a contractor for 10 years. I can tell you the majority of the problem was not the contractor. The majority of the problem was the client who was hiring us either A, was unrealistic on their budget, B, would consistently do a change order every other day. Oh, I don't want this. I want that now. Okay, well, sweetheart, we got to now order a different tile. Now I have five days dead on the project. You screwed this project up. So I got really good as a contractor. Every time somebody asked for a change order, I would have them sign a change order slip that agreed that every thousand dollars of a change order added two days to the project. And People didn't like it, but at the end of the project, I never got in trouble for being over budget or late. And it was a really good way to determine the majority of projects that are late or messed up or whatever came from the top down, not the contractor. Now, do contractors have problems? Yes, tremendously horrible problems. They're disorganized. Um, it's, a it's a job that is so interesting because it's a dichotomy of responsibilities. On one hand, people want you on the job site managing the people. On the other hand, they're like, yo, I met you at the house two days ago. Where's my estimate? I need my estimate. I need my estimate. It's like, where do you want me? Do you want me on the job or do you want me in front of a computer? Right? So contractors um, have a really hard time. So what we do is we don't ask our contractors to do estimates ever. We do the estimate for the contractor. And then we say, meet me at the job. Here's the estimate I'm willing to pay for these line items, because obviously I understand the pricing. Can you agree to this pricing and, and these items? And my contractor, my, my team signs off on it. And then if there's a change order, then we're paying more money, but we're probably three to 5% average over budget on fix and flips. Whereas other people are 20 or 30% over budget because they're asking the contractor to do the estimate. I'd rather do the estimate and take full ownership that I included everything I want done on that. And here's the reason why. And if anybody that's really honest with themselves as fix and flippers would admit this, you're going into the conversation, planning on negotiating with the contractor and hoping that you get some free things like added into the estimate because you, if you don't say them out loud, then maybe the contractor is going to do the work. I learned that you're going to pay for those things. Anyway, the contractor is going to realize it and he's going to add you some change order and maybe a $500 change order ends up being a $2,000 change order because he's trying to make up for the things you asked him to do for free. I'd rather just lay everything out because sometimes we're using hard money. Sometimes we got to make sure we, we hit the right window of opportunity in the market. I don't have any time to fight over pricing. I don't have any time to fight over the contract. I don't have any time to deal with that. So our contractors from day one are very aware of what I want. And then when I start the project, here's what I do. I go through and I record my entire walkthrough with the contractor before we start. It goes to a Dropbox. And if the contractor has a question about what did say, pay say, where does he want this? And I literally am using like my finger with my recording. I'm like, okay, do this, do this, do this, keep that there, move that over here, blah, 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 blah. And it's a 30 minute video that gets uploaded to Dropbox. And now they don't have to call me. They are trained, just go reference the Dropbox video. I don't have time to answer your questions. Just get the job done. And if there's a change or an issue, that's when you need to let me know. That's outstanding, man. What a great thing. And it, it, again, like everything else, it's it, proper communication and setting an expectation from the beginning. And I think being honest about what it is, because I agree, it's anytime I, I talk to anybody that's tried to save money on a rehab, it's always cost them more. 
The numbers are the numbers. The ARV is the ARV. The rehab is the rehab. And when you try and convince yourself it's different, it always leads into other problems, you know? <laughs> you know, and there's, there's other little things too. Like, here's a little tip. Get a black Sharpie, like a big, fat, juicy Sharpie with a juicy tip. Not like a little teeny one, but like a fat, fat boy. Take that Sharpie and go around the house. And let's say you're doing a backsplash in the kitchen. Write where the backsplash is going to go and write white subway tile, brick leg, white grout. And it's on every single wall and every, I even designed the showers, how big the soap niches are, where the shower head's supposed to be. I'm drawing everything with black Sharpie. And what's amazing about this is number one, it eliminates the majority of the questions and, you know, uncomfortable things of like, you told me not, you didn't tell me to do that. Well, bro, it's on the wall. Like, <laughs> you know, and then the other thing is I was a painter for when I was young, really young. My dad was a painting contractor. So um, I am kind of a prima donna when it comes to paint quality. So if you're putting um, black Sharpie ink on a wall, your painter is going to be forced to use a good quality paint and not water down your product. So there's those little types of things that if they try and use a crappy paint on your wall, your Sharpie is going to bleed through it, right? So I probably have 30 or 40 little tips like that, that when I walk through, I don't realize I'm doing it anymore because I'm just so used to it. But I haven't, I haven't actually seen anybody on my construction crew in almost seven months. Nice. Most of my guys, I go through, I'll do the video, I'll do the Sharpie. I send them the video. They go through the house. The Sharpie stuff is already there. I already have the estimate sitting on the counter and I don't even have to meet the guys at the house. Here you guys go, get it done. That's awesome. I love that. That's great. Yeah. The, the follow-up to, to that that you also mentioned was there was the unfortunate loss that you had with the guy screwing you on the money. And to me, that, that's another big piece is, um, you know, I've, I've learned from, you know, Henzo Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Matt Serra and these guys that a lot of the guys that I know that are athletes that come from some sort of combat sport, they do well when they come into business, especially real estate, because they're used to being in bad situations. And just like I heard you say, just putting your big boy pants on and just having it and going after it and fixing it. Okay, I lost money. I got to go make twice as much instead of sitting around and feeling sorry for myself. Like right. you, you kind of get it done and go there. So has that something that you've had in you for, for a long time? Did you learn that through somebody else? Is that just ingrained in you? Have you always been that guy who kind of, you know, this sucks, but how do you give yourself that mental self-talk and prep to, to just keep tackling and, and putting out fires all day? Cause that can get very exhausting. And I think everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but when they realize that there's fires and crap to put out all day and it doesn't always go your way, sometimes it gets burnt instead of figuring it out and pushing forward, they quit and they give up and they go back to their nine to five, which you could have easily made that decision and been like, man, half a million dollars, whatever it is, like, I'll never recover from that. I'm going to go back to something else. But you did it. And like the old Rocky story, you got knocked down and look at you now, you're the heavyweight champ, you know? So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got yourself there. You know, I, I realize, and I, it's still the same thing. It's like um, with so many other things in life, people have, so I tell a lot of my students or people that I hang out with, if you use the words disappointed, frustrated, upset, um, or, you know, th words like that in your life, like how dare you, right? You don't, you don't have, you haven't worked hard enough to be able to be disappointed in anything. And so even when this guy screwed me over a million dollars, it was like $989,000 is what the number was. Even when that happened, my baby was being born the week after, like, you know, it was just a, a, a whole bunch of stuff. And I would come home to my wife and my wife's like, how are you handling this? Okay. And I said, look, 
my job here, here's the goal of business. The goal of business is to make money today and in the future. And if I'm sitting here spending all my time and energy trying to chase down this guy who just filed bankruptcy on me and feeling sorry about it, I'm not making money today and I'm not, definitely not setting myself up to make money tomorrow. And my wife, funny, like right before this post, she, or right before this podcast, she makes a post on Instagram. And it was uh, two, two years ago this week, we were going through this thing. And she sends me a text this morning and then she posts on Instagram about it. She's kind of ominous about it because nobody knows what she's talking about. But she's like, I can't believe I share a house with this man and blah, 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 blah. And she's referencing what we went through two years ago and how in, in, she's sitting there stressed out about it. And I go, all this did was put me in a position that I, I'm forcing myself out of a, a bad relationship with a, ba a bad person. And I learned some lessons and I can go make more money. If my arms got chopped off and my legs got chopped off, I would still feel the same exact way. I just go use my brain and my mouth to go make more money. So that's the goal of business. The goal of business is to make money now and in the future. The goal of business is to not chase old money. So um, I don't know where I learned that from. I don't know if it's just because I've been kicked in the nuts so many times that I just, you just learned the lesson. But bro, I just got screwed over two weeks ago, 30 grand. So I had a, I had a guy, so I, most of the people that work for me on my fix and flips and my developments, um, we're developing about 60 homes right now, new homes. Most of the people are direct employees, but when I'm doing a manufactured home, I buy the home from a, man, a manufactured dealer, like champion or, or, or whatever champion delivers the home to the site. I have to have a licensed installer for that home. That can't be one of my employees. So I give this guy 30 grand back in like October of last year on this one house. And it was like, excuse, 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 excuse. And finally, I just, I'm like, dude, I'm fed up with this. So I call the registrar of contractors and we found out this guy skipped town with like 20 other people's deposits of 30 grand. He just ran out of town, 600 grand. So I go over to another mobile home dealer there. I'm going to post this on my Instagram tomorrow. And I get them installing it. They're installing that house right now. And when I cut the check for him, it, was, uh, it ended up being more money. He's like 32, 33 grand. So I give him a check a couple of days ago for 16 grand. And then I'll give him another check for 16 grand after. And I'm in his office writing him a check for 16 grand. He goes, man, I'm so sorry that this happened to you with this guy. And I'm like, man, I appreciate it. But you know what? Uh, it was a $30,000 um, semester in the life, you know, the, the school of life, right? I would much rather learn these things than have to ever go to college. And this is just my price to pay. This is my college. I'm learning these lessons and I'm paying for this semester of school. And by the way, because that guy screwed me, I met you. And now, you're, now this guy is working on other projects of mine and they're top notch. So you just have to understand that it's part of the process. It's kind of like people that complain to me, people that complain are like ones that complain about getting like, oh man, I got to, I got to get in my car to go down and get a thing of coffee. I got to open my door to get in my car. It's like, dude, getting, opening the door is part of the process to get in your car. You can't complain about the whole process. And so learning these tough lessons, getting kicked in the nuts, figuring out who to work with, who not to work with, and having any eternal positive outlook is just like opening a car door to get into it. It's part of the process. I love it. My, my good friend, Megan Shaw, always has the line, you were not born a winner, you were not born a loser, you were born a chooser. And look at things as a choice you make. So I feel like that's exactly what you're doing, man. That, that's great advice. That's so good. I like that phrase a lot.
I, st- I stole it from her, so I had to give her credit. <laughs> so that's so good. I like that. So um, I definitely want to jump big into um, uh, all the stuff you do with the creative financing, man. The subject to the seller financing. I love it. I, I was telling you right before we started recording that I literally took your story that I'll, I'll let you tell and word for word, just explained it to somebody on the phone 15 minutes before we got on the call. And, and she was in, she agreed. And I was like, man, it's so easy. Like, you know, it was, and it's one of that in a market, like you're saying, I like that you do all the different aspects of it because there are some deals that if you're just looking to wholesale, you're just looking to flip, they don't always fit in the buy box. But I, I love the stuff that you're saying. I see you all over social media. Hey, you know, wholesalers or flippers that have deals that don't have enough equity, give them to me, I'll buy them. Hey, realtors, you got somebody that needs to cut it, send them to me, I'll buy them. And that is so interesting. I think everybody goes like, the hell is this guy talking about? And they don't really know what it is. And I've done some of it, but I do think that there's going to be a huge opportunity more than ever over the next coming months. I definitely think that this is where the market's going to go. And if you don't have that tool in your tool belt, I think a lot of people are going to be out of business. So I actually haven't done any guests that talk about creative financing or subject to it all. So can you give just a basic overview on, on what it is and what you do? And then I definitely have some, some detailed questions we can dig into. And uh, I'd love to hear the F-150 story because I use it today to make a deal that I'll tell you about. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's a great story and it's a true story. So anyway, um, creative financing is just another way to buy property. So most people uh, get introduced to buying property is the old school methodology of I, methodology. I'm going to go get a loan to pay off somebody else's loan. That's essentially what you're doing when you buy a house. I'm going to go secure a loan by using my credit, my taxes, my down payment, you know, all my credentials. I'm going to go secure this loan. I'm going to pay this lender a bunch of funding fees and all this kind of stuff. And he's going to make a bunch of money. He's going to take the loan I give him and he's going to go or get from him and he's going to go pay off the seller's loan. And then that bank makes money. So essentially the people who really make the most money in these transactions are two banks. So I go to a seller and I go, look, you're having a hard time getting to the number that you really want to be at. Why don't you just let me come in and take over your mortgage? And a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean take over your mortgage? Are you talking about assuming the mortgage? No, absolutely not. I am literally just making their payments on their behalf. And I now have both title and deed to the property. I control the property hundred percent, but I never had to qualify for the debt. Right? So it's like, if your buddy, let's say bought a car and six months later is like, dude, I hate this car, but I can't sell it because I bought it off the lot and it basically lost a bunch of value. I, I, I'd have to write a check to get rid of this house, this, this car right now. And you go, dude, just let me have the car. I'll take over the payments. And then you turn around and do Uber with it, or you rent it out and you make more money in what that payment is. That's essentially what we're doing. So my partner, Cody and I, we just got a deal. I'll give you kind of a perfect scenario. This is happening right now. Seller gets interfaced with a real estate agent. The real estate agent comes in and tells the seller, her name, the seller's name is Carol. Hey, Carol, you're going to have to put $20,000 into this house for us to sell it for $329. Carol says, well, I only owe, I only, I owe 300 grand on a 329 house. And you're wanting me to put 20 grand into it to sell it for 329. I got to move. I got to go to Indiana. My son needs a nanny and my grandkids are growing up and I need to get out of this house. So the sellers are like, well, you got to come up with 20, $25,000 to make that happen. Okay. Well, obviously a real estate agent didn't give them a solution. The real estate agent said, let me try and list the property for you after you put repairs into it. That doesn't work for everybody. So then 
the seller starts having conversations with wholesalers, which look, Cody and I are wholesalers too. So I'm not, I'm going to bash wholesalers in only one regard. The bashing I'm going to give them is that they learn how to do wholesale and then they stop learning. They know one little tool. It's like a contractor showing up to a job site with only a hammer. You're like, bro, what are you going to do? Build a whole house with a hammer? Like, come on, man. You got to have a lot more than a hammer. So this seller was actually in contract a dozen times and canceled on a dozen times from wholesalers on this particular house. My team, and why, why did they cancel on her? They canceled on her because they easily got into contract with her because she has a lot of pain, but they, were, they couldn't do anything with it. So they just went back and canceled on her or they would lock her into a contract and then they would turn around and try and renegotiate with her thinking that she's lying to them about owing 300 grand, right? Because we all know sellers can be liars from time to time. So we come along and we go, how about we just pay you 329 full retail and you just give us your mortgage? And the seller's like, wait a minute. Are you dead serious? That's all this is? We go, yep, that's it. And I recorded the conversation, by the way. So um, I'll share the link with you so you can put it maybe in your, your link for the podcast and stuff if anybody wants to hear this conversation. I actually went to the homeowner's house and recorded the conversation in the living room. So the seller's like, wait, you're going to pay $50,000, $60,000 more than anybody else. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to move out of the house. And all you're asking for is to take over my payment. Yep, that's it. That's all I'm asking for. I, I'll take over the payments. I, I'll take over the responsibility of the house. So her payments are 930 bucks, something like that. The ability to rent that house out is close to $2,000. So there's an $1,100 spread on a monthly basis to get that deal done. So we just take the house over. Now here's the benefit. I not only get the cash flow, well, let's, let's start with number one. The first benefit is I help somebody that nobody else could help. And that's a really cool feeling. Number two is I get cash flow of roughly $1,000 a month. And I didn't have to qualify for it. I didn't have to go use my credit. I didn't have to use a, even a down payment. None of that. Then my renter that will go put a renter in that house, my renter is now making those payments on my behalf. So the house is paying down. I'm building my retirement. I then get depreciation, so I get tax savings. And then as the house appreciates in value, bro, think about the freaking inflation that's going to be popping off here pretty soon with like all the printing of money. Mm -hmm. I am protected against inflation because I'm buying these properties and I'm the owner of them, right? So I'm getting these massive, massive benefits and all these wholesale, all they want to do is try and get a, a silly little assignment fee on a deal and, and not learn how to actually make true wealth in their business. So creative financing, subject to seller finance, novation agreements, stuff like that, is the fastest, easiest way to build long-term wealth and make money today in terms of cash flow. That's outstanding. It really excites me. And I heard you talking about another benefit of it that gave me like goosebumps. I was like, this makes so much sense when you were talking about how so many people bought stuff in the market and now we're hitting like the next pivot that we're at the height again and they're going, all right, well, how do I sell this? And you're coming in and saying, well, I'll buy it for you, even though you have no equity. And then you talked about the amortization, which I'd love you to touch on of, of why that's just another amazing benefit that if somebody's owned it for 10 years or more, they're looking at more benefits there. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's crazy. The benefits of, the benefits of wholesaling are definitely amazing. We love wholesale. We love fix and flip. 
but they're just part of the, the, they're part of an overall strategy, creative finance, subject to seller finance. And I'll tell you, I'll tell people, your listeners, subject to means there's a debt in place. Seller finance means that seller has the house paid off and they're just financing and giving me, a, you know, payments or terms. Um, then when you're doing that, it's great. So my own personal house, actually, this is Cody's personal house. He owns this house subject to everybody on my team owns their own houses subject to. And why is that so amazing? It's amazing because as real estate investors, we are some of the most challenged people in terms of getting an actual loan to go out and buy. A, do you realize, do you know the numbers with real estate agents? Most real estate agents could not qualify to buy their own house. Huh. Like it's something over 90% of real estate agents could not get qualified to buy their own house with their own income and credentials alone because lenders look at real estate agents, obviously they're self-employed and it's also a very unstable job. So I get real estate investors calling me all the time. In fact, I have one just moved from LA to here. He's like, I got to get out of LA. First person he thinks of is me. Hey bro, I got to buy a sub two or seller finance. Can you hook me up? Because he's not going to, even though he's probably making half a million dollars a year, he can't get qualified for a freaking loan. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That, so anyway, Cody owns his house subject to, I own my house subject to, most everybody on my team owns their house subject to. Oh, my house, it was a real estate agent that had it listed for six months basically. And they gave up on the listing and called me two weeks before their listing ended and goes, you, you're the creative guy, I need help. Can you please help me you know, get this seller taken care of? And we bought the house as very little equity, but the house, if I decided to rent it out, would have made me a thousand dollars a month. Like, think about that. You do 10 deals like that. You not 10 grand a month doesn't excite me, but I'm just saying for most people, they go, dude, I can make 10 grand a month for the rest of my life. You just do 10 deals and you're freaking done. That's amazing. That beats, I think what most, the average American is making for 40 hours of work right now. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I, again, going back to the very beginning of the podcast, I was talking about this thing I saw on Instagram about physicians making $200,000 a year. And I'm thinking, so, and I have a really good buddy of mine. He's a lender. Also, he lends money to us. He's an anesthesiologist. One of the, one of the top paying careers of all time is an anesthesiologist, right? He makes $250,000 a year. Now I'm not mocking people that make $250,000 a year, but it is amazing how much more money you can make in real estate than that. And you can have zero formal edu education, no student debt. You don't have to go through an internship. You don't have to go through 16 years of all this garbage. And ultimately most um, doctors, attorneys, and all these guys end up getting into their fifties. They paid off their debts. Now they've got money to invest, maybe their forties. And they go, I got to go invest in real estate. <laughs> Right. It's like, dude, we got, we just have this unbelievable shortcut to success because we, we chose the path. Uh, we chose the correct path up front. And I actually think it's harder to become a doctor than it is to be a real estate agent by a real estate investor by far, by far, by far, it's harder. I could not, I, I praise the guys that go and be, become doctors, attorneys, et cetera. I could never do that. Meanwhile, we are making a considerable amount more money and building our wealth in our early years, 20s, 30s. And by the time right now, if we chose to do so, we could be done working. But our goal is like, how do we get to 
I know this sounds crazy, but how do we get ourselves to three, $400,000 a month in passive income over the next 10 years of accumulating these rentals? That's our goal. So, um, you know, we want to buy ranches. We want to buy, buy land with rivers and lakes on it. You know, we want to go do big things. And the cr only way to do that in my mind with my education level and my sphere of influence is through creative finance on leads that other people simply can't make happen. That's awesome. You know, you, you're talking about doctors. It's such a great thing that I never thought of. And I'm only thinking of it because of what you said, how you have all these different exit strategies and it looks like you are open to changing with the market and always seeing where things are going. And like you said, you have multiple tools in your tool belt, but guys that I know that are doctors and especially tech guys that are making a ton of money when medicine changes or policies change, they have to go now work. As soon as they get off work, they're going back to school to get reeducated and get all new research certificates. If you want to go from fixing and to wholesaling or from wholesaling to creative finance, you don't have to go back to school for two years and show a certificate and spend more money and rack up more student loans. Like just another benefit I never thought of until you just said it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because our marketing, we don't market for fix and flips. We don't market for creative finance and we don't market for wholesale. We market to motivated sellers and depending on the seller situation, we make our ultimate um, plan on the exit strategy. So it's not so much the market that determines the ex exit strategy, it's the seller's situation and how do we adapt to them and how do we solve their problem. Now, right now, fixing and flipping is so hot because there's no inventory. So we're fixing and flipping a little bit more than we normally would because we're listing properties right now, 15 to 20 grand over ARV and getting five grand over that price. Like fix and flips are hot right now. It, so, it is nuts. It's a lot nice. of people think like you got to go market to creative finance or you got to go find subject twos. I'd say top 10 questions I get inside of that. One of those questions is how do I go find, how do I go market to subject two sellers? I'm like, you don't, you market to people who have pain and you, you utilize subject two to solve more of their problems than anybody else. And you can pay more money. And not only do you make money up front, but you can make money, you can make, somewhat forever money or mailbox money, which is absolutely crazy. That's awesome. You know, and talk, talking about where we are in the market, that's another question I wanted to ask. So I've heard you say that you'll buy stuff at retail right now. What are you doing as far as for any type? Cause we're in a weird spot, like this whole kind of in and out of COVID and the people moving out of the cities to go to the suburbs and overpaying for stuff. And it's, it almost seems like we're in a, a bit of a, an unrealistic haze. It's not a really good gauge of exactly where we'll be in three, six, nine months. So maybe the equity really won't be the same in 30, 60, 90 days, six months, whatever it is. How are you protecting yourself from the market shifting or overpaying for properties right now when you're paying top dollar in an inflated market? Or do you not care because it's really about the cash flow? Great. That's the, it's all about that last part. I, I, the most amount of money I've ever paid over retail was about 20 grand. So it's not like I'm paying a hundred grand over retail. The majority of the houses we buy do have equity. We're probably buying most of our houses at like 85 cents on the dollar. So we're buying them with some equity in them. But primarily we buy for cash flow, right? Because if you look over the last 50 years, we've had four up and up and downs in the last 50 years, not just in Phoenix, but in you know, almost nationwide. Kind of follows the same cycle nationwide. Over the last 50 years, we have not had a dip in rental rates. In fact, rental rates consistently go up. So when you have a bad market, rental rates actually go up. So people are like, what happens when the market crashes? I'm like, I'll make more money. Yeah. 
right? I make more money. So I don't know the downfall. So here's, here's what a lot of like creative finance investors that got destroyed in 2008 and nine did. They were buying subject to deals that had adjustable rate mortgages. So what happened is the rates changed, therefore their payments changed, therefore their position on that deal changed. They weren't making cash flow. Now they're hemorrhaging money and they're like, I got to bail out on this deal. For us, we have, we, we have probably one or two adjustable rate mortgages. They're very rare. We buy them only when they're like such great deals. But the overwhelming majority of our deals are fixed rate mortgages, 3.5% all the way down to 0% seller finance deals, which we get all the time. We got one in Florida like two days ago, $0 to the seller's pocket and 0% zero seller, 0 seller finance. So the seller gave it to us for like, um, I think 120. We gave him $0 down. We paid for closing. So we're into it like maybe three grand. But right out of the gate, his payment is $400 a month that we're making him on 0% seller finance. And we're renting it out for about $1,250. So we'll get all of our money back in the first three, four months. And at that point, now I'm cash flowing $700 a month. Obviously, that's before expenses and any repairs that pop up or whatever. But I'm cash flowing $700 a month. But the cool thing is, I'm paying down that mortgage to that guy $400 every month and with no interest as well, right? So even though that property I paid 124, it was only worth 110. I paid 10 grand over retail. What does it matter? At the end of the day, I'm not 75 years old. I'm in my 30s. So for me, we go buy three, four, 500 houses in the next 20, 30 years, those all pay off regardless of where I bought it or not. And the whole way I got tax depreciation, I got in inflation protection, I got depreciation, appreciation, cash flow. I got all those things on properties that most people would not even dare to touch. That's outstanding. I love it. It, it really is just, you know, from the beginning of time, one of the first books I read was a Kiyosaki book. And he always said, you go against what everybody else is doing. You go against the trends. And that seems like exactly what you're doing. And it, it gets exciting. My, um, another thing you said about giving somebody money. So that obviously situation with the 0% and zero down, that's got to be in the seller financing situation. Otherwise, you'd have to do some sort of wrap. And I guess they wouldn't be able to give you that 0% interest rate, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. So the, the only way they can give you 0% interest is if it's um, completely paid off. They have no debt on it whatsoever. Um, so I'd say... The majority of the seller finance deals that we do are at 1.5% down to 0% interest. Awesome. Okay, yeah. and how do we pull that off? Number one, sometimes we don't even bring up interest. We just, the seller says, we go, well, what would you like? You know, what would be the purchase? If we, if we did a seller finance situation, what would be the purchase price you'd like? How much down payment would you like to see? And also what would be your monthly payment? So when we go to close escrow, we just set up the payment to match however many months until that mortgage is paid off and the seller signs off, it ends up being zero. But let's say it does get brought up and the seller goes, well, I'd like to charge you interest. I go, well, uh, and I do a lot of these calls. Um, I just did one last week. We closed five homes, all 0% seller finance. Nice. And the seller flat out says, well, I'm not going to give this to you at 0% seller finance. I go, well, what if we built in three or four years worth of interest in the purchase price? So you're, you want to sell all these houses to me for 200. What if we just add them to like 220 and then you give me 0% interest. So if I sell the house in the next three to four years, all that 20 grand gets paid for. 
and you get you get taken care of no matter what. Whereas if we do an interest rate, what if I refinance you out in three years? You're not going to get that 20 grand. You're going to get like 11 grand. So then the seller's like, well, what's the likelihood of you doing it? I go, pretty low. But if I do end up doing it, you get paid all that 20 grand. So I just usually build in my, their profit up front and I do a 0% seller finance type of deal on the majority of our deals by building in their interest. However, if you really think about it, I'm buying it for two, it's a 200 purchase price they want. I bump it up to 220 to get 0% interest. But over the course of 30 years, most people would have paid $400,000 for that house. And I ended up paying 220 because of the way I, oh, I overpaid for the property, right? I overpaid for the property, but I structured it properly so that I only paid 220, whereas somebody who underpaid and maybe bought it for 170 would still end up paying over time 350, 130 grand more than me. So my question to people is, who's really overpaying for the property? That is ninja right there. I love that. You're right. 100% right. So you are, you're actually trying to keep that for the full term of the loan. Ballooning yeah, it out in three or five years. I usually don't go get out. I mean, here's what'll happen. Our primary exit strategy is a lease option. And the reason why we like exit, exiting on lease options is because typically on a rental, I've got to manage that renter a little bit more. And um, you have more repairs, you have more issues, you have more baby mama drama and all the crap that comes <laughs> along with rentals. But a, a lease option tenant, somebody that's willing to actually give a larger amount of money up front, the reason they do a lease option is because they fully intend on buying that property from you at some point after they fix their credit. So it's a different demographic of people. So you have way less maintenance and in the lease agreement actually states, I am not responsible for your repairs. So we get the, we kind of get our cake and we get our cake and we get to eat it too. And what I mean by that is we get to keep the property ownership. We own the property and we're renting it, making cash flow. And we also get the benefit of not having to maintain the property because we do it in a, as a lease option, right? There's, down, there's pluses and minuses to every exit strategy. Like if I sold it on a wrap, I have almost zero maintenance. But guess what I don't get? I don't get appreciation. I don't, don't get any tax benefits. I don't get the depreciation. I don't get the mortgage pay down anymore, technically. Like the guy who I seller, seller financed it to gets that whole windfall of benefits. So there's people that like to do wraps primarily because they don't want to maintain properties. But for me, our goal is to make millions of dollars a year. If I'm, if I'm making millions of dollars a year, I need tax depreciation to protect my, my, me against taxes. I can't get tax depreciation if I'm selling my houses out on a wrap. That's getting yeah. a little technical for people who are like, wait, what? You lost me yeah. like seven minutes ago. Well, in, uh, after we do a couple more questions, I do want to hear about all the, I know you have your Facebook group and you give so much free content and break down so much stuff live on Instagram. So people that are listening, obviously, will have all your stuff in the show notes. And there's plenty of ways that um, I'm going to hopefully, you'll give them that they can follow up some more of these things that you, you give a lot of great stuff out there, man. I think it's awesome. Um, again, I don't want to take up your whole day, but another thing I wanted to touch on before I, I start to wrap up is I did hear you say a couple of times that you use a lot of door knockers now which you're one of the only people I've heard really talk about that. Everybody else, you know, this one's direct mail, this one's SMS, RVM, you know, driving for dollars. Um, I'm interested to see what you're doing there. Your, your thought process behind why you're doing that, I think is brilliant. I, I heard you mentioning, you know, people that are in distress, they're, they're not checking their mail. They're not answering calls from weird numbers because it might be a bill collector. So 
the the logic behind it makes so much sense when you said it. It was like a punch in the face. But how are you structuring that? How are you finding people to do that? How are you paying people to do that? So the way we find people um, is primarily through Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. And we just tell people, hey, if you want to learn real estate, we are a um, real estate team that looks for distressed property owners. And we will teach you how to get into the game with a six-month commitment of knocking doors. So like every Saturday, we'll have um, new people coming in trying to become door knockers for us. And like to, on Saturday, here, nine o'clock in my office, we'll probably have six or seven people that will have come from our Craigslist ads. And we just have it on automation. So we have a virtual assistant that's constantly posting ads and just keeping the pipeline full of people that want to become door knockers because you hire two or three door knockers, one of them sticks. You hire two or three more door, door knockers, one of them sticks. The way we pay them, and the reason why they don't stick around, is because I pay them straight commission. I'm not interested in paying you to learn real estate. You need to show me you're dead serious. So, especially when the numbers are so easy. The numbers are so easy. And what I mean by that is, you go knock 100 doors, you're going to make 15 grand as a company. The commission on that is three grand. So, Essentially, what I'm asking you to do is go knock every door you knock, I'll give you 30 bucks. That's it. So you can knock 30 doors in a day. Okay, so you're going to make $900 every day by knocking doors for me. Essentially, bro, like it's not a hard job at all. <laughs> so they, what they do is they'll go knock 30 doors. They're very predetermined. We use a, an app called Go Knock. And GoNock gives you all the foreclosures and then we'll route all the, the foreclosures for you. So we only really knock people that we know have pain. You know, a lot of people will use like Dill Machine or something, but I'm like, I feel like Dill Machine's a waste of time because you don't know that these people are in pain. You're just aimlessly driving around trying to find overgrown landscape. <laughs> Dude, that could be a renter. That could be somebody not taking care of their house. Doesn't mean they're in pain. So my door knocking team only knocks pre foreclosures and our average uh, deal is 15 grand on a wholesale and it takes a hundred doors to not to, um, to get a deal. So the logic behind that is not only do people not want to answer their phone when they're getting blown up or when like they're behind on all these payments, they're not going to look at their mail. They're going to throw it away. But more importantly, and a lot of people are starting to see this is the, the carriers, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, they are making it way more difficult for a wholesaler to get into a seller's um, text messages. So as that unfolds, you want to get into this game, you got to get belly to belly. This is a people business. You got to get belly to belly and you're going to make money. That's all there is to it. I love it, man. You're, you're doing whatever it takes and it's working out. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, okay, so I know you got you got stuff you got to do. I, I call this the victory lab. I'll give you a couple of uh, final questions and I'd love to hear about all the ways to work with you, find you all the stuff you have going on. I know you got a bunch of your Sunday service and everything. Um, so my, my first question is, what's the worst job you've ever had? Um, oh my gosh. The worst job I ever had, I actually enjoy. I, I, I am a workhorse. I just love working. But the worst job I ever had was I worked for GoDaddy.com. So in my early 20s, I had a wife. Um, we were since divorced because we just weren't on the same page. Um, I, I'm an entrepreneur. It's been in my heart for forever. And when I was in my 20s, you know, I was, we 
probably my expenses were like, I don't know, five grand a month. And I was making $5,100 a month trying, you know, being an entrepreneur is barely making it. You know, I'm 23 at the time. And my wife at the time says, you need to go get a solid job because I need to marry somebody that I need to be married. Somebody has a solid job. So I'm like, you know what? I'm a good husband. I'm going to go get a job. So I went and got a job at GoDaddy. And about two weeks into that job, I got up just out of the middle of nowhere. I just got up. I go, I can't do this shit. And I stood up. I walked out. I called my wife at the time. It's, she's my ex-wife now. And I said, if this is what you want me to do is to have this job, you need to go find another husband. <laughs> you're, you're forcing me to be somebody that I'm not. And so that was, the last, that was the last time I actually worked for somebody else at their business. Now I've owned businesses and had customers. So technically I work for other people. But I really have only had a couple of jobs that I worked for other people and I actually enjoyed all of them. I even enjoyed the GoDaddy thing because I enjoyed learning certain things about that industry and what's, what's going on. But I realized like you ain't making any money working for anybody else. Awesome. Now you, you touched on this other one a couple of times, but the next question is, again, if you did have a time machine, I heard you say it a few times, and you were gonna go back in time and talk to a younger Pace Morby, Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give a younger you starting out? Um, I would have found an integrator partner. I would have found somebody that's exactly the opposite of me and partnered with them way earlier. Um, what I did, and I think a lot of people do, is they go partner with people they like, and they're like, oh, I want to hang out with my buddies, and I want to go do stuff, and you, become, you partner with them. It's okay to do deals with people. It's okay to joint venture with people. I'm not saying that. But when you're building a real business that re requires, like, you know, customer, like we own a virtual assistant business. We have 150 employees that work for us in the Philippines. And I don't have anything to do with any of the back end there. I just help out with the promoting and talking about it and whatever. My team, I, I would have never been an owner of that company if I partnered with another pace. I, if I partnered with another pace, I would shoot myself. Like it's the worst situation. So I need an, the opposite of a pace. And so I would read, I would go, would have gone back and I would have handed myself the book rocket fuel and said, you, in order for you to be successful, you need to have a, an absolute counterpart to your personality. So you can go focus on the things that you are good at and not waste a minute of time on stuff. You're not. Absolutely. Great advice. And finally, now people want to learn more about what you do, working with you, learning from you. I know you do teaching. I know you, you find people deals. You, you pretty much do everything. So um, ways people can work with you, find you, your Facebook groups, your, your YouTube channel, your, your, your wholesale hotline. Talk about all of it. Um, so I would say if you guys want to learn more about what I'm doing, um, we're spending a lot more time on YouTube right now, just going through deal by deal. Oh, you know what? When are you releasing this? Uh, I was going to do it in probably about three weeks, but I can pump it to whenever you want. I could have it out this week if that's what, it, what you need. Cause I, I've got this giveaway. Have you heard about my giveaway? No. Bro, my giveaway is so dope. Check this out. So I've got this giveaway. It's called um, hashtag first deal. Okay. And what it is, is my partner, Cody and I were like, you know what? We get so many wholesalers that send us such trash deals. <laughs> you know, we, I'm not joking. I had a guy sent me a deal. He goes, ARV 205, uh, wholesale price 195. I'm like, how is anybody going to make money on a $10,000 spread? Like you're so uneducated. You don't know what you're doing. So it wasn't that I felt like he was intentionally malicious in sending out that price. I just think he wasn't educated. Then I got another one. Then I got another one. I go, okay, 
Here's what we're going to do. We are going to give back to the community and we're going to do a giveaway. Here's what the giveaway is. I'm going to buy a, a fix and flip utilizing creative financing called the Novation Agreement. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to fund it. I'm going to run the construction. I'm going to list the property and I will split all of my profits on that fix and flip with whoever the giveaway winner is with no money out of their pocket. So we've had like 4,000 um, submissions for the giveaway. So all they have to do is they go to my, this is how you win the giveaway. Go to my Instagram DMs and type in hashtag, all one word, hashtag first deal. Hashtag first deal. Put that into my Instagram. You'll get submitted into the deal. We're going to do a drawing on September 15th to see who wins that giveaway. And dude, people are like DMing me. It's crazy. Like my whole, my phone's getting blown up all day long because it is truly, there's nothing I'm selling. I'm not doing anything along those lines. I'm just truly saying, hey, watch me do a fix and flip. And if you are the giveaway winner, I will fly you out here when we're closing escrow on the deal so you can feel exactly what it feels like to do your own fix and flip and be a partner on a fix and flip with no money out of your pocket. But I'm going to document it all the way through YouTube to show people, you know, here's what it looks like. Here's how to do it. And anytime a wholesaler sends me a bad deal, I'm going to send him the link to YouTube and go watch this series so you can understand how fix and flip actually works. That's outstanding. I will definitely get this out before then, probably next Monday. So it'll be within yeah. the timeline. So people listen to this, definitely do it. I think that's really cool. You do a lot of cool stuff like this. It was 16 or Instagram live. You're <laughs> yeah, we did. That was on Facebook. We had a Facebook uh, about three months ago. We did a 16 hour live and then somebody challenged me They go, I bet you couldn't go 24 hours. So a month later I went and did 25, a 25 hour live where I stood on my feet for 25 hours and just talked creative financing for 25 hours and had special guests on and all sorts of stuff. It was really cool, man. So your what are your, your social links? Obviously I'll post them on the, on the show notes for this as well, but I know you got a great YouTube channel. You got great social media. I would just follow me on Instagram. I think like you, you just get a watch. It's unfiltered. It's non, you know, non-produced. It's just me going around all day long to my projects, to my employees, my team, seeing what we're up to. And I probably post 15, 20 stories a day. So you see what we're up about. It's like today, um, the seller, we contracted a seller two days ago. Last night, we found out that the seller has a um, tax lien on their home. And so I ran over to the house personally, because I love doing this. Like we're, we're doing 20, 30 transactions a month. And I still like going to sellers' homes every once in a while. Uh, no, my acquisition team primarily takes care of it. If it's a creative finance deal where there's like some tricky situation, I like to go over there. And so today I went over there and I was talking about it on my Instagram stories. And then I recorded the conversation and I give that conversation away for free on a swipe up. Like, hey, swipe up and I'll give you the download link for the conversation so you can hear exactly how I renegotiated and restructured this deal. So it's just really a raw, unfiltered, just getting access, giving people access to like my day by day so people understand what it looks like. So Forget about like my education, forget about all that kind of stuff. What I would do is just follow me on Instagram and follow my stories if you want to see what a day in the life looks like. Outstanding, man. I love it. Pace Morby, thank you so much for your time. Uh, any final thoughts before I let you go today? No, I just appreciate you. And I, I, love, I love what you're doing. And um, I appreciate you jumping on here with me and spending an hour with me, man. Dude, you've been more than generous with your time. You were totally cool to do this. You responded right away and booked it up. I have been listening to you. Uh, teach and motivate me and literally just help me get a deal, man. So I'm really excited. I'm going to follow you. 
few months as the market starts to change. And I highly suggest everybody does the same. So Pace thank Morby, you. thank you very much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. I have a lot of respect for you. I appreciate what you're doing. And I thank you for your time. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you so much. Have a good day. Have a great day, man. That was an outstanding episode with Pace Morby. I really appreciated it. Uh, if you guys could please do me a favor and jump on Google, type in the A-Game podcast and to click on iTunes, scroll down after you hit it and leave a review, five stars, tell people how much you like the podcast. It really goes a long way.